Hello, Jack. Hello. Good afternoon. Anything going on in the news today? Oh, nothing at all. It's really a quiet day. Nothing going on. I don't know what you're going to talk about all day. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I actually do know what we're going to talk about at least part of the day. And, uh, and good afternoon. And I'll say right at the start, we're probably going to do the show today that I thought we would do on the day that we got a ruling from the Supreme Court on the Dobbs case, the, uh, Mississippi law that is a kind of, uh, challenge or an opportunity for the Supreme Court to revisit Roe v. Wade. This is, this is in many ways the show we would be doing on the day of that ruling. We don't have that ruling. The Supreme Court hasn't voted. The Supreme Court hasn't issued its final opinions, plural. But somebody leaked a draft opinion written by one justice, Justice Samuel Alito, and that found its way to Politico.com, which ran it last night about an hour, hour and a half after the end of our show. So Politico came out and said, we have this this draft opinion. It's a 98-page uh, opinion from Justice Alito, and it implies that there are five votes, in, including Alito's, in favor of striking down Roe v. Wade uh, and upholding uh, Dobbs. Now, whatever position you have on on abortion, and we're going to get into all this, but whatever position you have on abortion, leaking a draft Supreme Court opinion has not ever been done in modern times. It's it's a kind of um, it's a kind of uh, hyper politics move. You know, it, it says norms don't matter, uh, trust doesn't matter, because whoever leaked it was in a trust position. They were entrusted with documents, notes, they were privy to conversations and deliberations that presumably they had had taken a, a, a an oath or a promise to not divulge. Otherwise, we'd know all the time who was doing what, saying what, what the, the, the where the votes were going to be. We wouldn't wait till the Supreme Court issued an opinion. We'd know it way in advance. You'd know this stuff all the time. So presumably a trust relationship existed until yesterday and it tells you a lot about not only the issue of abortion but it also tells you about how uh politicized education has become because the people that did this presumably came from law school and there is activism now all throughout higher education we've talked about this on the show as recently as yesterday so Activism has supplanted academia. Activism is now seen as a, as, a, as a good unto itself. And somebody, probably a very young person, took it upon themselves to leak, reveal, divulge this opinion. Now, there are other possibilities. There's a possibility it was stolen. Possibility that it was uh, somehow ferreted out electronically or hacked out. I mean, these these are all things to keep in mind. But the most likely uh, explanation is somebody leaking intentionally from within uh, the Supreme Court. You're going to hear a lot of people say that this was intended to intimidate the Supreme Court justices, meaning that uh, they would get nervous or fearful uh, about the opinion they have or are planning to take. Uh, on Dobbs. I don't know if that's 
true. I, I, I think that's possible. Here's what I think is more likely in terms of figuring out the importance of, uh, of this leak. It was interesting to me how fast barricades went up around the Supreme Court building last night. I mean, very soon after 8.32 p.m. Eastern Time when Politico posted the story. How did they know to have the barricades? Who gave the order, and how swiftly could an order like that be carried out? Why were there barricades? Was there some thought that uh, pro-abortion people would try to breach the Supreme Court building? Why, Why were we protecting the Supreme Court building? From whom? Does the January 6th committee have any time to look into this? Since it would appear that the authorities in Washington feared some sort of insurrectionary activity around the Supreme Court building. I don't know if there were any barricades around the homes of the justices, because they weren't in the Supreme Court building. They were at home. Presumably none of them knew this was happening until it had already hit the Internet. Did anybody think to look out for them and their safety? I think that's a legit concern. And then I think the real um, ramification of this is to create a new passion, a new frenzy among Democratic voters or voters that could be persuaded to vote for the Democrats in the midterms. Now, let's face it. The Democrats don't have a lot going for their case right now. The case for voting for them is a weak case. It's headed up by Joe Biden and a bunch of issues on which the country is deeply disappointed. People don't like the direction of the country economically, socially, culturally. People are depressed about prices and what it's done to their wages. And the president is not in a position to inspire confidence. It's not like, well, if he goes out there and gives some rousing speeches, he'll turn this around. That's clearly beyond him at this point. What you need is to scare those demoralized Democratic voters into thinking, well, no matter how you feel about Joe Biden or your paycheck, damn it, you don't want to live in a handmaid's tale. And that's what I think this is really about. Scare people, stir people up, create a blue wave to counter the red wave. You need to tell anybody you get into a conversation with about this that the Supreme Court isn't going to outlaw abortion because the Supreme Court doesn't make laws. Oh, well, wait, they did with Roe v. Wade, but they're not supposed to be in the business of making laws. They're not a legislature. If, and it is still an if, the Supreme Court revisits its 1973 decision, it means not that abortion's over. By the way, I, I was astonished. I'm on some mailing lists, uh, emailing lists from some pro-life groups. I was astonished at how ignorant some of them are about this. I was embarrassed as a pro-life person. They were acting like the fight's over, like they're, like they're going to fold up their tents and go home. So here's what happens if the Supreme Court does what Justice Alito is alluding to. It means that the states would make the laws in their legislatures. Legislatures would make laws. Remember the Tenth Amendment? It's not about the the federal government. Abortion isn't in the Constitution. There isn't a right to it. But each state certainly can and should 
legislate its position, its guidelines, and, and now they would. And some are already saying they will, like they just thought of this on their own. It's called federalism. It's been around a long time. We know about it in Texas. We know about the Tenth Amendment. It'll be fun to watch the blue states discover it for the first time. Um, I also thought to myself, uh, in addition to stirring up Democratic votes and maybe saving their bacon in the midterms, women are back. We've talked about this on the show a number of times. Women have been completely overthrown by the Democratic Party. That There is no definition of a woman. Remember that? And we have birthing people. All of a sudden, I heard all the talking points, all the defending women, and this shall not stand, and we will stand with women. It was like the Democrats had gone back to the 1990s. It was very nostalgic. So gender wokeism has to sit down and take a time out now. I guess Ukraine is probably out of luck for a while, too. And disinformation and COVID-19. It's hard not to notice this, and I, I hate to say it, it's a, it's a kind of an ugly observation. It's hard not to notice how much the Democratic Party loves the abortion issue. I mean, someone should love you the way they love that issue. I mean, they're devoted to it, fervently. I mean, there isn't anything that stokes their passions. There isn't anything that stirs them to heights of rhetoric like abortion. How did that happen? How did one of our two major political parties come to have this, the death of a baby, as their defining issue? I mean, you could say that a lot of Republicans and conservatives favor the death penalty, but when they favor the death penalty, they don't favor it with the, with the fervor, almost the poetry, that Democrats muster for abortion. It's weird. I don't, can't think of a better word for it. It's almost as if that's what they want you to think of first when you think of them. If they're right, and a lot of people are going to care about this, it will blunt, moot, the so-called red wave expected in November. But if they're wrong, if this is not what people are looking for, then it's just another example of how out of touch they are with black voters, Hispanic voters, women voters, Because they're basically saying there isn't anything more important than this. I know a lot of people, and I know people that are pro-choice. I I, I don't really think I know anyone. I'm not sure of this, but I don't think I know anyone who's pro-choice, but for whom being pro-choice is their defining thing. But for this entire political party on the national level, this is their defining thing. And maybe it's... Maybe they're reading the room, and maybe they're overreaching. We're going to find out. Our next guest is the um, niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King, the daughter of another great civil rights activist, the Reverend A.D. King, um, an author, a Fox News uh, contributor, a former state representative in Georgia. Uh, Reverend Alveda King is on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Alveda King, it's good to have you, and good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to join you and your listeners. Thank you for inviting me. I read something recently that you said about um, abortion and the civil rights movement that was, it just, it struck me. Um, And it was about um, 
riding in the back of the bus and the way that the abortion uh, debate has impacted and affected the civil rights movement and African Americans. Do you remember? Do you remember that quote? Do you remember what you said? I absolutely do, and I've reminded people of it through the years. When we said that we would no longer sit on the back of the bus, a place was being reserved for us down at the abortion clinic. In other words, uh, eugenics and genocide and people who feel as though there are separate human races. We are all one blood, the human race, Act 17. 46. But uh, they wanted to have a controlled group and a controlled population of superior humans. And so they came up with many ways to do that. Adolf Hitler is an example. Margaret Sanger is an example. Charles Darwin. And so what people do not know and understand, part of the agenda of the abortion community is to control the growth of the populations of minorities of African-American people, Latinos, for example. And so I made that point, and people thought about it, and they said, you know, that actually is a good point. How do you persuade somebody of that? And I agree with you, but but how do you persuade somebody of that when they say, yeah, but these uh, politicians who are pro-abortion also proclaim themselves to be our champions, our defenders, they, the, and, and they command the majority of the African-American vote in every election. The reason that the politicians who support abortion uh, do command a large population of the African-American community, but many Americans in the past, because that is now changing, people are waking up and people are understanding that life should be a civil right, a human right, from the womb to the tomb. And so a lot of money and a lot of slick marketing has been done over the years to make us believe that abortion is good for women. Abortion doesn't really hurt children because the baby in the womb is not a person. But people are waking up. Science says that that's not true. The Bible says that's not true. And people are beginning to think and realize. As a matter of fact, there are more pregnancy care centers in this nation now than there are abortion mills. There used to be more abortion mills. You could, uh, in any city, you could see several of them. But now the pregnancy care centers are here to support the mother, the baby, even the father, and the community. And so with us getting this information out, and then the real evidence that the Dobbs case in 1970, uh, the Dobbs case gave us abortion. And, um, no, I'm sorry, Roe v. Wade gave us abortion. Let me get this straight. And now here we are, all these years later, in Mississippi, proving right. that abortion and the Roe v. Wade bill was bad. And we want to send a decision now back to the people with the Dobbs case. And with all of this discussion, people are actually waking up. Now, one of the, I guess you'd say, theories about this leak from the Supreme Court last night was that it was intended to fire up the Democratic Party base, to, to, to stir enthusiasm among people that are not enthusiastic about President Biden or this economy. But the other way of looking at it is if the Democratic Party totally aligns itself with abortion, that may be an overreach for a lot of voters uh, who do not want and do not see that as the as the, the main thing or an issue they want to identify with. Is this overreach on the part of Democrats, do you think? 
Well, Justice Roberts has admitted, Supreme Court Justice Roberts has uh, admitted that the information in the leak is really true. That happened back in February, by the way. So you would wonder if the timing of the leak or the release of the information had something to do with the primary, because this is primary season right now. Right. So there is reason to wonder. But I always say what the devil intended for evil, the Lord intended for good. As a matter of fact, that's in the Bible. And so God will have the final say. And I believe that what's happening is waking people up. And uh, President Biden is not doing a great example of trying to still champion abortion, by the way. He appears to be failing miserably. So I just well, it's it's just it's. I was saying before we got you on, I was saying it is it's stunning to me that there is no issue the National Democratic Party speaks about with more passion and fervor than abortion. They don't ever get this fired up about anything else. Oh, there are a few other things, but abortion is right at the top, absolutely. And they have sold the lie that abortion is good for women and it's women's rights and all of that. So it's not working as well as it used to, I assure you, because we can see by the numbers, over 70% of Americans do not support abortion on demand up until birth. You've got uh, the heartbeat bill that's come up in Texas and other states that say life is sacred, period. Mm-hmm. And after a certain amount of time, you just cannot do an abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got the Dobbs case. So America is actually waking up, and we've got the percentages and the numbers to support yeah. that. Yeah, I, I like the sound of that. Uh, Alveda King, great to have you. Thank you for the time today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, we're going to update KTSA Time Saver Traffic, see where we are on that. Your calls, many other things we'll get to here. We're going to break this down in terms of what might have gone on inside the Supreme Court, how they figure out who did this, if they ever do, the leak, I mean. 210-599-5555. How do you feel about the question of this being a political football for the midterms? Will this, will this save, will getting people fearful that abor- you know, there'll be no abortion, it'll be back alley, you, you'll have these, uh, you know, every, every place in the country will have restrictions or bans, uh, which isn't true, but again, that's a, a, a powerful emotional pitch that you can make to people. Do you think that will save them, the Democratic Party, in the midterms? It's our question on the JR poll. How do you feel about that? Very busy day with this uh, Politico.com story from last night. Uh, about a purported uh, majority opinion in the Dobbs case, the abortion case before the Supreme Court. Um, a lot of questions. Where did the leak uh, come from? Uh, what are the different ways in which something like this could leak out? Uh, what will happen now? Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Robertson, confirming that the document is, in fact, a draft opinion, because we didn't even know that for the first several hours of this story. Uh, also uh, has an obligation, clearly, and he seems to know that, to have it investigated. Um, and then there has to be consequences for the person or persons uh, responsible uh, for the leak. So will heads roll, or will this be like it always is in Washington, where there's a lot of outrage and heat, but not a lot of light, and nobody ever seems to be 
held accountable. How many times have we had this kind of conversation about some quote-unquote scandal or controversy, and then at the end, nothing? So we talk about it now, the mechanics of this, with our next guest, retired judge, former Bear County District Attorney Steve Hilbig. He's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And, uh, Judge, when you heard this news last night, or whenever you first heard it, um, wh- what was your thought as to how something like this could have or would have happened? Well, how it could have happened is that, again, there are, I think each justice has uh, four clerks, and so as, as opinions get circulated, uh, it, when it goes to different chambers, then there is a likelihood that any of those clerks uh, in, a, in a particular chamber could, could have had access to it. Or, you know, and I'm sure what they probably do is that when I was on the appellate court uh, here in San Antonio, uh, you know, I would have a clerk work on or a law uh, clerk work on a particular uh, opinion with me. So we would kind of trade it back and forth, and we would do that as we get other opinions from other judges. So... And, you know, it's, it's very easy that someone would have access to it. The real issue is uh, this strikes at the heart of the court. I mean, when when we were working on, on cases on appeal, it was always stressed to whether you were a regular employee, that is a, a lawyer employed by the court, or you were an intern, that you had to maintain confidentiality because it, it affects people's lives. It mm-hmm. affects their mm-hmm. mo- monetary gain. I mean, for instance, if you had an, a, a case on appeal and you were seeking to overturn an opinion, excuse me, a, a judgment, a you know, million-dollar judgment against you in the lower court, uh, and you could get advance notice as to what the, the uh, appellate court was thinking, right. uh, then you know you might decide, oh, well, let's go ahead and settle it, or no, let's hold out because we know we're going to win. So, so, so it, what's it, the it, mechanism right, by yeah. which that confidentiality is? I mean, d- have people taken an oath? Have they signed a document? No. Is it just an honor system? Uh, for us, it was an honor system. I don't know what mechanisms they have on the the uh, Supreme Court, but uh, it was a well known lack of the word rule of the court. So, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, it, it's a ethical violation, and it sure is. Can they be disbarred? Well, it really is not a rule belonging to the Bar Association, so I'm not sure disbarment would work. But I do believe that, that the court could probably hold the individual in contempt of court. Uh, in, in federal court, that means that uh, they could face six months in jail and a fine not to exceed $1,000. And that may not be a whole lot because it, the damage to the Supreme Court and how it works or any appellate court is immeasurable. It, it really is. And so I would think and I would hope that, they, that the court would take the most strict measure it could. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if the person lies during the investigation, well, then you do have a felony offense of 18 U.S.C. 1001, which makes it illegal to uh, lie to a federal agency. And so if that person chooses to lie and then the lie is later discovered, uh, mm-hmm. they could also go that route. But, do, do, uh, you, um, do you make much, we're talking with retired judge and former Bear County DA Steve Hilbig, do, do you make much of this theory that this was a, a intended to intimidate the justices? Chief Justice Roberts says it won't. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to understand w- what that means and what that, w- how realistic uh, a concern that is. 
Well, I actually read the opinion this afternoon, and it it was uh, an opinion that was pretty far along. In other words, I think that uh, when it got circulated, that that most of the judges who had indicated that they are in favor of the position uh, that the opinion represents, uh, they're not going to change. And in terms of intimidating judges, I don't see how a judge, or at least my reaction would be, oh, you say that that wasn't the right decision and you're going to try to intimidate me and change my mind. I'm sorry, that's not working. And I would suspect most of the judges on the court have that feeling. Uh, That intimidation doesn't work. I mean, if somebody was saying, oh, well, maybe this was intended to influence the the primaries and maybe get out more Democratic voters or Democrat voters, uh, you know, maybe that's a possibility. But I don't see how it would intimidate the judges. I think, if anything, it would entrench them uh, in their views. And, and frankly, the the way that I read the opinion, it was a fairly well uh, reasoned and well read opinion. Let, let me let me push back on you a little bit, though, on that because I, I hear what you're saying, and that makes sense to me. I mean, these are these are erudite people. They don't make these decisions lightly. Presumably, uh, they would not be easily swayed. But we have the historical example of FDR uh, in his attempt to pack the court in the 1930s. Everybody talks about how that blew up on him, which it did. But coincidentally, after that was over, the Supreme Court then rendered a series of very sympathetic opinions toward him and his New Deal programs. A lot of people think he he never intended to pack the court. He intended to scare them. He did. And they took a different approach to him thereafter we can't prove that we're just uh i guess inferring that but um you know the president today came out and said um basically instead of saying it's outrageous it's wrong uh that a leak would happen uh, or that the uh, country should wait for the court's decision and then respect it um he basically encouraged people to act out politically on the basis of this leak and this draft opinion. He's not FDR, but, I mean, it wasn't the right uh, response. It encouraged lawlessness as opposed to lawfulness. Could that have an effect? On the court, no. On this decision, no. On the court, I would hope not. Uh, I mean, because if somebody tried to change their vote now, it's going to be so apparent that it was a result of some sort of mm. influence, and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, they would lose all credibility. And then in terms of what the president did, I mean, would you expect anything less in terms of he's going to use it for political purposes? If the leak was intended to uh, rally people in the midterm elections and rally them in the primaries, then what the president did was exactly in that same nature. I, I guess... The the thing that's amazing to me is that um, we're not even pretending anymore, right? So, as you describe it, there is a tradition, as much honor as anything else, that says no matter what you see or read or document you type up or handle, there's confidentiality. Um, we have lo- all our lives we've sat around waiting for decision day from the Supreme Court. We've never had any inkling of what how things were going to go until the 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 opinion was released. You even see television correspondents, right? We've talked about this frantically trying to read the thing on live television to see what the Supreme Court's reasoning was in a big case. So we've we've blown that norm up. We had barricades around the Supreme Court building last night. 
uh, that looked a lot like the ones around the Capitol a year and a half ago. I mean, it, it, do you get the feeling that this changes things maybe in a in a permanent way? Well, I think it's going to change maybe permanently how the court operates. Uh, I mean, you know, there are ways that you can figure this out if, if you coded opinions. In other words, so like if, if one chamber got a, a draft that had a certain code on it, uh, you could figure that out if it came from that chamber or not. I mean, there are different ways that I'm sure they're going to have to respond uh, to how drafts are circulated, who has access to what. Uh, and, and maybe even change. And, and again, I have no idea what their employment contracts say, uh, but I'm sure they're going to tighten security. And frankly, <laughs> probably more, most of the appellate courts around the nation are going to tighten security based on what happened up there. And, and it, it is absolutely horrible. It is absolutely political. Uh, and I think you were trying to maybe go to the idea that this ba- breaks one of the last barriers we have of how uh, you know, court was supposed to operate. It was supposed to operate uh, behind closed doors, if you will, let people argue and reason out and, and, and challenge each other when they say, well, I think this is where the law is. And somebody can say, no, you're wrong. I think it's over here. And through that process, get to the right answer. And it's going to make that process a lot harder to do if you're not going to be able to have uh confidence that what goes on is not spread to the public yeah i think that's well said and um we have heard so much rhetoric lately about the breaching of norms and the disrespect of norms the january 6th committee is all about that um it doesn't seem to me like we're reestablishing or or reaffirming norms it seems like we're blowing through more and more of them uh, all the time i guess that's really not a question that's more of a no, more of a lament. And, and, and to your point, I mean, this is kind of like the last the last institution, right? Uh, uh, we went from the presidential to the legislative, now to the courts. You know, our three branches of government, and I guess it was the last one to be stormed, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it sure was stormed. Uh, retired uh, judge and former Bear County District Attorney Steve Hilbig, good to have you. Thank you today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jack, for having me on. Edward wrote to me today. Uh, he's a lawyer, and. Um, been a lawyer for a long time. He, he listens to the show. He said, I've heard a lot of commentary about the leak. Everyone is hoping a clerk gets disbarred. If any of them are involved, I certainly can't argue with disbarment. However, if that's all they get, they will be a gazillionaire on book sales by this time next year. Maybe jail for insurrection would be more appropriate. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really have to say, and I'm sorry to sound pessimistic. I just, I just get the feeling that we may or may not know who did this or who was involved, because there's more than one person involved. There's probably a chain of people that ferret it from wherever it was physically to the people at Politico.com. But um, I, I just, I, I've watched things in Washington in recent years, and, you know, it just, it starts with a bang and it ends with a whimper. It starts with outrage. There's always a lot of tough talk. I don't care which party's in power. There's always a lot of tough talk about, punishing the wrongdoer and we'll get to the bottom of this and we'll be transparent and we're like mushrooms they keep us in the dark and they feed us you know what so i hope i'm wrong and if you think i am call me and tell me i would love to be wrong i'll admit i was if it turns out that i am but i i have to say to the 
to the people that are very exercised about January 6, 2021, take a seat. Okay? Take a seat. Because all of you people who've been losing your minds about January 6th need to be at least as strident about this. I know that abortion is one of the sacred sacraments of the Democratic Party, but if principle means anything, and you claim that it does when you're shrieking about insurrection, then you need to notice that one is actually happening right now. Minutes after Politico had this story, they were putting up metal barricades around the Supreme Court. There was no reason for that to happen other than the Politico story. If the Politico story was such a surprise, how were the barricades ready so quickly? How is it that within an hour, give or take, of that story hitting the website, prominent Democratic senators already had well-composed tweets in reaction to it? How is it that protesters knew and could be assembled so spontaneously? And the SCOTUS leak is an actual attempted insurrection. It is an attempt to interfere with the normal constitutional functions of one of the three branches of government, to delegitimize the rule of law, to incite violence, and and by the way, to do it on a lie. Because Trump lied about the fact that Mike Pence could reverse the election. And and there's no getting around that. I'm sorry if that makes you mad. I voted for him twice. But he had that wrong. And I don't know if he had it wrong intentionally or, or not, but he had it wrong. But people who tell you that if the Supreme Court... Um, rules on Dobbs, it will outlaw abortion in this country, are lying. It's wrong. It's not true. It means there will be 50 different Democratic, lowercase d, debates and decisions about abortion law in this country. It means that we will uh, legislate it state by state as we do many other things, and it's not the end of the world. So the people that are making it sound like women are second-class citizens or we hate them or we want them to bleed to death in a back alley are either stupid and not worthy of your attention or know they're lying and are participating in an attack on our democracy. They're spreading a lie that they know is a lie. And if that was wrong for somebody to do on January 6, 2021, then it's wrong to do on May the 3rd, 2022. So I want to play for you what President Biden said this morning when asked about the uh, leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court that was published by Politico.com last night. Here is the president's first take on it today. I hope there are not enough votes for it. The main reason why I worked so hard to keep Robert Bork off the court it reflects his view almost, almost worth, anyway. Look, the idea that concerns me a great deal that we're going to, after 50 years, decide a woman does not have a right to choose within the limits of a Supreme Court decision in case number one. But even more, equally as profound is the rationale used. And it would mean that every other decision 
relating to the notion of privacy is thrown into question. I, I, I realize this goes back a long way, but one of the debates I had with Robert Bork was whether whether uh, um, Griswold versus Connecticut should stand as law. Well. The state of Connecticut said that the privacy of your bedroom, you, a husband and wife or a couple could not choose to use contraception. To use a contraception was a violation of the law. If the rationale of the decision as released were to be sustained, a whole range of rights are in question. A whole range of rights. And the idea we're letting the states make those decisions, localities make those decisions, would be a fundamental shift in what we've done. So it goes far beyond, in my view, if it becomes a law and if what is written is what remains. It goes far beyond the concern of whether or not there is the right to choose. It goes to other basic rights, the right to marry, the right to determine a whole range of things. So look, think what Roe says. Roe says what all basic mainstream religions have historically concluded, that right that the existence of a human life and being is a question. Is it at the moment of conception? Is it six months? Is it six weeks? Okay, it, so he's, he's in the weeds now trying to explain the history of organized religion, but... but um, Notice that nowhere in there does the president even pay lip service to the idea that a draft opinion should not be leaked. Um, he is discussing it as if the Supreme Court has already ruled. The ruling's already been issued officially. So there's no attempt at, at even just taking a, a, you know, a brief swing or offering a little lip service to so-called norms. Yet his very election was supposedly a response to restoring the soul of the country, returning grown-ups in charge, uh, the idea that uh, President Trump didn't respect norms and violated them and mocked them, didn't appreciate the separation of powers, tried to intimidate judges. That's all been forgotten. They got what they wanted in 2020, and they don't have to pretend that they care about those things anymore. And then he says he refers to a Supreme Court decision as a law, and it's not. Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, says the problem we're having with Supreme Court confirmation hearings, the reason they're so bananas, is because we treat the Supreme Court like it's a legislative body, and we're electing a new senator. And we're not. That's not what courts are. That's not what the Supreme Court should be. If the legislatures in our country... Congress and the state legislatures did their job and stopped punting difficult issues to the courts, we wouldn't have everything being decided by nine justices in black robes. And then the president says that he's always felt this way. But he hasn't. He's been around so long, he's been on both sides of every issue. He gave an interview to the Washingtonian magazine in January of 1974. He was a freshman senator. And he was interviewed as a so-called conservative Democrat, which he was at the time. I mean, he was tightly allied with uh, segregationist Southern Democrats. Uh, he was pro-life. He was pro-defense. Uh, hardline on the Soviet Union. And this is what he said in January of 1974. Joe Biden. I think it, Roe v. Wade, I think it went too far. I don't think that a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body. 
Now, I know people change over long periods of time. But why would a person who got older and wiser, who became a grandfather repeatedly, and, and, and professes still to be a, a Catholic, and I'll take him at his word, why would Joe Biden have changed his mind about this? It's interesting. I'm old enough to remember when there were a lot of Democrats who said these things and felt this way. This was an actual debate. And now it's become a litmus test in their party. And you can say, well, the Republicans are hardline, Jack. They're, they're anti-abortion. But there are pro-life Republicans, several of them, many of them, in every state I've ever checked on or lived in. Can't say that about pro-life Democrats. 210-599-5555. So just to be clear again, if all of this plays out the way this leak says it will, and there are five or possibly six Supreme Court justices on Samuel Alito's side, it just means there are 50 new, fresh looks at abortion law, at rights and who's got what right to do this and do that, factoring in all of the new science, all of the new imagery, everything that we've learned about conception and life in the womb since 1973, the party of science should be very interested in how much more, how much more refined and and granular our knowledge is, right, than it was in 1973. And that's what would happen. That is what would happen if Roe v. Wade was overturned. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. Jeff is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. I think this is a, another example of what happens when uneducated kids grow up to be uneducated adults. What is about to happen is exactly what the founders set things up to be. We, we in the States flipped the coin 300 years ago. We won. So we took first stab at all the rights we wanted, and then everything else, went to you states and it's scary when the president makes a comment like oh my gosh we can't let 50 states make any decisions um it kind of tells you where his head is at and if you if you don't watch him too closely they will take everything from us uh and and not even wink at what the constitution says and doesn't say and again if it was my neighbor saying it okay he didn't pay attention in civics class. But when it's the president of the United States who is just yeah. whitewashing everything with, oh, my gosh, if we let states or local communities make any decision, heaven help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, isn't that the way this country is supposed to work, unlike virtually every other country in the world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just... It, it, I'm I'm glad every time something like this happens is I never got into politics because it turns you into such an idiot. Um, and the allure of staying in office seems to be something nobody can resist, and they will say anything on Monday to stay in power till Friday, and yeah, anything yeah. on Saturday to make sure they're still in power on Monday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's well said. That's a good. That's a good point. I I think they know that they're they're playing they're walking a tightrope because they have to be much more ardent and radical about this for their base than I think the rest of the country. 
I, I, I don't think they have the wind at their back. I, I, I think that's why they've never done the simple thing. The simple thing that, that Biden and Schumer and Pelosi and all of them could do is pass a federal law. They, they haven't done it. And they probably don't have the votes to do it. There probably are a lot of purple state and purple district Democrats who are not ready to go on the record. Uh, so this makes a good issue to talk about, fundraise on, stir up the midterm electorate about, but they don't actually ever deliver on it. And they are hoping, as Ben Sass correctly pointed out, spineless politicians always hope that courts will do bold things they are unwilling to do. Because no matter how upset we are, we've been upset for, you know, almost 50 years at Roe v. Wade, you can't, you can't express that with a vote. So that's our dysfunction. And then as, as Jeff adequ- really accurately points out, um, it, 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 it forces them to say things like the Supreme Court makes a law that they know sound ridiculous. It is ridiculous. 210-599-5555. Now, some of the governors like Gavin Newsom in California are already saying, well, we're going to, we're going to call our legislature into session. And we're going to pass a law to make sure that there is a right to abort future generations of Californians. I don't share his enthusiasm for that, but he is right under the Tenth Amendment. He is, he is right under federalism. Yes, let California legislate. Let each state legislate. You can say, but Jack, I, I might not like what they do. That might not be what I want. But that's the, the, that's the nature of our system. If you don't like what your state does, you have the, I guess you could say the, the fallback or the solace of what other states are doing. But if you are ruled by nine justices, if you are ruled by Washington, D.C., you have no place to go. And then there's a lot of scare tactics, uh, because it's not enough. Abortion might not be enough. You have people coming out today, and you're going to hear a lot more of this as the week goes on, and say, well, this has implications for gay marriage. And Eric Swalwell, the idiot congressman from California, says that he thinks that the Supreme Court is coming after interracial marriage. Now, there's no case. There's nothing before the Supreme Court about interracial marriage. That's, that's, that's a settled issue. But he thinks maybe I can scare a few more voters or people that are not that fired up about abortion but might be in an, in an interracial marriage or relationship or perhaps dating a Chinese spy. I don't know. So he threw that out there today. And like Jeff says, do these people really believe this stuff or do they know they're lying when they say it? Talking about the leak of a Supreme Court draft opinion on the Dobbs case, which is the uh, case out of Mississippi that could be the Supreme Court's uh case that overturns uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, the leak of such a draft opinion uh, is virtually unprecedented. And uh, joining us to talk about it, along with your calls at 210-599-5555, is our constitutional law expert, Professor Bill Pyatt, on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softener Newsmaker line. I have to ask you, Professor, what went through your mind uh, when you first heard that there had been a leak, that the opinion was out there on the Internet being read and and, and uh, interpreted by everyone. What did you think? I was stunned, uh, and I was shocked. Uh, 
the realization that someone within the court, most likely an attorney, would do such a thing to undermine the rule of law by disrupting the, the deliberative process was just shocking. Um, as a law professor, as someone who teaches professional responsibility and constitutional law, among the things that struck me is if that person is an attorney, that person could lose their law license and could be held in contempt of the Supreme Court. Should the court now issue the Dobbs opinion ASAP because the longer it waits, the more speculation there might be that uh, anyone's changing their mind or there's pressure on them to change their mind? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? I know that would represent a disruption of the norm, but is it healthier to get that thing out sooner rather than later? No, I don't think it it is. I I think it would be better for the court to proceed on its own timeline. Remember, that draft was prepared in February. It's over two months old. There may have been modifications and changes to it already. Uh, No matter what opinion finally comes out, there are going to be any number of pundits and others who are going to try to compare the language of the final opinion to the earlier one and suggest that the leaker somehow had some influence. I think the court needs to make it real clear that leaker will not have an influence either on the substance or the timing of the decision. This is a tradition, and and it's an important tradition, that the Supreme Court can deliberate outside of the public view, communicate with with themselves, and frame an opinion after consultation among the members of the court. Some people have said today, Professor Pyatt, that the real story, or the even bigger story than the leak is the draft opinion itself, because it reads as a very strong uh, declaratory refutation of every legal argument that's been made over the last 50 years about the so-called right to abortion. Well, of course, the substance is ultimately more important, but we won't know what that is for a few more weeks, probably. And it's important to remember There is a great deal of misunderstanding about what Roe did and what Roe did not do. Uh, It did identify a due process right to privacy, but it did so in the context of a trimester scheme. Uh, People seem to fail to understand that that whole trimester scheme was thrown out in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision in 1992. And there have been critics, both liberal and conservative, of the road decision, uh, indicating it did not really have a substantial constitutional underpinning. So it is a it is going to be a dramatic change, uh, probably one that is not unanticipated. And the final opinion is going to give us the reasoning, and I, it will probably not give people any right really to speculate that there's going to be this wholesale tossing of other constitutional rights. And and to the point about this now becoming something that states will legislate, um, is that, in your view, the the appropriate uh, place for this? In in my view, it is. Uh, the states make decisions on matters of life and death, such as the imposition of the death penalty. People who are very morally opposed to it can choose which state they're going to live in. I understand that health care issues are, are somewhat different, but this decision, even if the draft that we're, we're being told exists, if that becomes the final statement, it does not automatically outlaw abortion in the United States. It leaves the decision to the state legislatures where many people think it should have been determined all along. It doesn't mean the end of abortion. 
It means the debate moves to the state legislature instead of the federal courts. Could you foresee a long-term cycle, though, where it goes back to the states, the states each do their own thing, we have the complaints then, oh, we have a patchwork of inconsistent laws, and I moved, and I don't know what my rights are. And In other words, wouldn't there eventually be the temptation sometime in the future, maybe when you and I are gone, but wouldn't there again be the temptation to say, we need a single voice and a single edict uh, because we can't have this this 50-state patchwork? Well, I could see that there could be some pressure to create uniformity. And there is going to be the tremendous political pressure involved, even now. Uh, while the Biden administration says it's not going to focus on the politics, of course it's talking about the politics. And it's mixing up religious concepts. I mean, I know that the president is a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I don't think he completely understands Catholic theology, or else he's misstating it when he says that the existence of a human life at conception is still open to question among the major religions. Um, Among the subjects I teach and that I've written on is Catholic legal perspectives. I have a book that's in its third edition that I used to teach a course by that title. We compare the Catholic position with that of the legal system. Students don't have to agree with one or the other, but they have to understand both. And it is just so fundamental that the Catholic Church has always viewed abortion as the taking of a human life. And um, probably the most recent pronouncement, 1995, Pope John Paul II concluded, I declare that direct abortion, that is abortion willed as an ends or a means, always constitutes a grave moral disorder since it is the deliberate killing of an innocent human being. Now, I understand people have different views on the law. But I sure find it troubling when the President of the United States, a Catholic, is making mm-hmm. statements that are, at a minimum, going to create some confusion among Catholics about what the position of their church is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And, Professor, we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Professor Bill Pyatt, our constitutional law expert. We're talking about the uh, leak of a draft opinion from the uh, Supreme Court, which is supposed to issue a ruling this summer in a case called Dobbs out of Mississippi. But last night, Politico.com published a 98 or 99-page draft opinion, meaning an opinion that was still in the works, uh, written by Justice Alito. The implication is that the five so-called conservative justices are on board with this opinion. Uh, The three um, liberal justices conceivably would not be, and then we have uh, Chief Justice Roberts, who could either be the sixth vote uh, with Alito's opinion or the fourth vote uh, with the liberal justices. Either way, we've kind of always known that the math probably favored a favorable ruling on Dobbs. And so everybody's been kind of girding for this to be the year when Roe v. Wade either is dealt a blow or revisited or... um, or reamed out. The opinion reams it out. If you've had a chance to look at this draft from Justice Alito, he calls Roe an abuse of judicial authority, says it was on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided, uh, says that the Supreme Court in 73 was wielding, quote, raw judicial power, usurped a question of profound moral and social importance 
that the Constitution unequivocally leaves for the people. And again, if you get into it with anybody in your family or friends or coworkers about this, remind them, because they're being lied to big time about this. The Supreme Court isn't about to outlaw abortion. The Supreme Court can't, even if it wants to. If Roe v. Wade is overturned in the way that other previous decisions of the Supreme Court think uh, Plessy versus Ferguson or Dred Scott, you learn about these in school, right? The Supreme Court has reversed itself in major case law before. When it does that, if it does that, uh, we will have 50 fresh legislative debates in this country, and people will decide. It will be agony for politicians, but they'll be doing their job. The system will be working the way it should. So it returns us to the legal landscape before 1973. A lot of people aren't old enough to remember that, but that doesn't mean there's no abortion. There will be states that curb or outlaw it, as there were pre-73, but Already, you can see, kind of by looking at the political map, how this is going to go in a lot of places. There are, there are probably a handful of states where it'll be a toss-up. But I would say in most states, you can pretty much tell how this is going to go down. And already, you have, we've talked about this in recent weeks, you have large corporations saying, look, if you work in our state, if you work for our company and we're in a state that has disfavorable abortion laws, we'll pay for you to travel to go um, and get an abortion in a pro-abortion state. So the the people that are, you know, um, screaming and yelling about this have to act like it's a bigger deal than it is because they're trying to make hay. You don't have to fall for it. And you shouldn't. And then I, w- I would even challenge the pro-life movement. I read some things today that were pretty disturbing. Um, I won't name the names, but I'm on these email lists, and some of these people don't, they really don't get this. If you're pro-life, and I, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I'll just say this. If you're pro-life, you have to care about women. You have to care about babies. You have to care about crisis pregnancies and unplanned pregnancies. You can't sit there and judge and you have to, there have to be, and there has to be resources and counseling. And there are, I'm not saying there aren't any, but if you're a pro-life group, that's your new mission in the event of the Supreme Court ruling. We have to care about this stuff. And a lot of these groups today sound like they're ready to fold their tents and go home. I don't know why they would think that. 210-599-5555. Brian is on KTSA. Brian, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, Jack? Um, well, first of all, I want to say that I believe that uh, abortion should go back to the states exclusively. And I saw some of the opening remarks today by this uh, general counselor from Mississippi. And uh, it was very evident when she interacted with Justice Thomas because he brought it up two or three times to her, or three or four times. He asked her what the specific precedent in the Constitution is that um, gives the right for a woman to have an abortion, and she could not name one. 
And she tried to weave it into the culture, into women's freedom, into a woman's uh, body. She has the right to make decisions over her own body. But she could not name a specific uh, U.S. constitutional president that gives her the right to terminate the life of, a, of an unborn child. So J Justice Thomas made it very clear, or he, he, he made it clear to any listener there is no constitutional precedent for it. So because the U.S. Constitution does not give that right, it needs to go back to the states. The states need to make laws if that's what they want to do and codify it into their laws that a woman has the right specifically to terminate the life of her unborn, unborn child. Um. No, oh, I think we just. I'm sorry. I think we just lost Brian. Brian, I'm sorry though. I think you were making a good point. I'm sorry we lost the connection. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Tell me what you think. We're asking you on the JR poll. Do you think this leak will? And, and I don't know if this was the purpose of it or not. But will it have the effect of saving the Democrats in the midterms? Because they're clearly agitating about it, as if to say, "Look, now you've got to come out." Hold your nose. Vote for us. You don't like the squad. You don't like Biden's economy. But you've got to come out and vote for Democrats or else we're going to be living in a handmaid's tale. That that seems to be the way they've decided to play this off. I think it may even have been planned for that purpose. Next guest, Professor William Jacobson, professor of law at Cornell and the founder of LegalInsurrection.com, which is one of the first places I headed to when this uh, Politico.com story broke Last night, he joins us on our Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And, Professor, um, because most of us have never seen a draft opinion of, from a, a court in the midst of deliberating a big case, what is this draft opinion? I mean, what, 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 what does it constitute in the work of the court? Well, it looks like a fairly early draft. It was dated back in February, I think February 10th. So it's been a number of months since then. It looks like, you know, Justice Alito, the opinion Justice Alito wants to write. And the question would be, he wants to write it, can he get four others to go along with it? And the reporting from Politico is yes. So I think that it's an early draft. It's not polished. It's a little wordy. You know, it's not the final product that Justice Alito would probably want. And in fact, it's an early draft. So it's his thought process and, you know, what use it had within the court. It's the sort of thing that might have been circulated to other judges, because a lot of times, and particularly in these high profile cases, they try to build consensus among, you know, a majority of the court. So we don't know what the status of that draft is today, but... Clearly, it is the opinion you would expect Justice Alito to write. But it is not necessarily in a form meant for the public to see, like it's not in its final form. No, it's clearly not. I mean, just looking at it, just visually, it just doesn't look like a final polished decision. And, you know, that's one of the... There are many levels of harm here, but if judges don't feel that they can freely put on paper internally their thoughts as they develop their own reasoning uh, and they develop what they ultimately want to write. If they can't do that because somebody's going to leak it, that's really a huge blow to the ability of the court to function. So 
So the Chief Justice came out today and said, we're going to get to the bottom of this, we're going to find out who did it, and this will not affect the function or the the behavior of the court. Is is that credible to you, or do you think some damage has been done? Well, the damage has been done, no question. I mean, damage has been done to, at many levels, um, the trust within the courthouse, the ability of the justices to trust clerks. I mean, we don't know who did this. The working assumption everybody has is it was probably a clerk in somebody's clerk, but we don't, we don't know that. And so, yeah, damage has been done, but I also do believe that this, if there were a 5-4 majority for either this opinion or one close to it, I think whoever did this, if he or she thought it would peel somebody off, I think it might have the opposite effect. It might have the effect of locking in those five votes, and therefore because no one would want to feel they got bullied by it. So uh, I'm not, I don't think it will have a huge impact on the decision in this case, but I do think it has been a huge disruption and a huge, huge mm-hmm. blow to the ability of the court to function. I, I know some people, and I, I, I don't know your position on this, I know some people believe that the pressure campaign uh, uh, before the Obamacare decision, some people believe that got to John Roberts and flipped him. Um, do you see that as a possibility with him and his apparent and very latent concern for the image of the court in this case? Well, you know, that was the reporting after the Obamacare decision. That, uh, you know, so there was some sort of leak, not a document, nothing you could really point your finger at, but that was the view that he flipped his vote. Uh, and I think he could be somebody here who would fall, succumb to that sort of institutional pressure. You know, Chuck Schumer's and the others are practically threatening to burn the court down because they can't control it. So, uh, yeah, I think that would affect somebody like John Roberts, but at least if the other leakage from CNN is accurate, he's not one of the five. So uh, the pressure of not wanting the protests and the mayhem that's going to ensue probably already got to him, and he would want a more incremental. So, you know, it's it's credible, it's believable that he would want to uphold the Mississippi law, but not necessarily overtly overturn Roe v. Wade. How frustrating is it to you as a professor of law that people don't seem to realize that this is not the end of abortion, it is the beginning of 50-state legislative debates about abortion, if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned? Right. I mean, if you just see the headlines, you know, Supreme Court to ban abortion. They're not banning anything. Um, They are pushing it back to the states. And some states will ban abortion, and others will double down and expand it. California, Colorado, Connecticut have all spoken publicly that they want to now become uh, abortion destinations. They want people to come to their states to have abortions. And that's what's going to happen. They haven't had to do that until now because you could get an abortion just about anywhere. But I think there will become an industry of essentially abortion tourism, if you will, where people travel to get abortions. Mm -hmm. And if the Democrats and the liberal donors 
really wanted to facilitate that, there'd be nothing to prevent them from instead of donating, you know, $100 million to whatever they donate to, they could set up a fund for pay people to travel to California mm-hmm. to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, you already have corporations saying they'll do that for their uh, employees. Uh, LegalInsurrection.com. You should read it every day, Professor William Jacobson. Professor, thank you. We appreciate it. Great. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Busy afternoon. We've spent a lot of time with our uh, our legal experts, with uh, with Alveda King, who had an interesting perspective on this. I hope you had a chance to hear her. By the way, if you miss any of our show, whole episode podcasts are at KTSA.com on the Jack Riccardi page. But now I want to really get into hearing from you and getting your reaction to, your feelings about this Politico.com story, a leaked Supreme Court draft document. So we're used to um, big decision drops from the Supreme Court. And as you know, when they announce a major decision, it is it is a surprise to everybody but those inside the court, even the people that cover it for the television networks and other news organizations. The moment the opinion is issued, they have to frantically skim it, read through it. Sometimes you'll see them standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, literally flipping pages, right? because they really don't know until it's released. Well, now we have an insight into the debate over the abortion case, and um, that's going to change the way that case comes out when it does, and it's going to change the atmosphere, political and otherwise, around the Supreme Court itself. Right now, as we speak, there is uh, riot fencing, and D.C. police officers, or, or perhaps their uniformed secret service, I can't tell. But there is a lot of security and a large crowd outside the Supreme Court. And I know we get used to these kinds of things, these protests, but the, the, in the purest sense, a protest is for a deliberative body like, uh, like a state legislature or city council or the House of Representatives, the United States Senate. A protest is not for a court, because a court, by definition, is not subject to opinion or sentiment. So, in theory, if Congress is making a decision, they're supposed to hear your voice. If the Supreme Court is making a decision, they're not. Emphatically not supposed to be listening to voices, protests, mobs. But we've lost that. And the reason the Supreme Court in particular is the focus of so much vitriol and drama is because, as Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska famously pointed out during, I think it was the Kavanaugh confirmation, we no longer force, require our elected representatives, to make decisions at our behest. We allow them to wimp out and boot it, kick it to a court. Then they can complain about it, and they're doing a lot of complaining today about this leaked opinion, but they don't have to go on the record. They don't have to do the heavy lifting. They don't have to do what we elected them to do. And let me play you an example of why they do this. This is the debate over Virginia's abortion bill uh, last year. 
Um, so this is a, a, the sponsor of the bill, a Democratic state delegate, answering questions from a colleague um, at a hearing about her abortion bill. Take a listen to this. You'll see why our elected officials prefer to have the courts make these decisions. Delegate Tran. Yes, sir. How late in a pregnancy would your bill apply if a physician would simply willing to certify that that the uh, continuation of the pregnancy would impair the mental health of, of the woman? How, how late are we talking about? In well, so, so the way the suggestion that we've um, made in the bill is to say it's in the third uh, trimester and at the you know, with the certification of the physician. So, so how late in the third trimester would you be able to do, to do that? You know, I, it's very unfortunate that our, the, our physicians, uh, our witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how late? I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the of the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean. Through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay, but to the end of the third trimester. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, um, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand that. that. I'm asking if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. So you hear what's going on here? She's the author of the bill. No one knows what's in it more than she does. Yet she talks about it. She keeps calling it the bill. And she talks about it like it's 100 miles away from her. Well, I think... You know, and, and basically, what you're hearing, I think, this way I interpret this, is she wanted to write a bill that would allow a doctor to certify that a woman needed an abortion for physical or mental reasons that he or she would stipulate right up to the end of the pregnancy, right up to birth. You can abort a baby about to be born. This is monstrous. I don't think there's very many people that are good with that, whatever their positions are otherwise on abortion. And she wrote the bill, but now in a public setting, she doesn't want to talk about it. She says, well, it's, it's about doctors making decisions and patients and patients and their doctors. He's saying, yes, I know that, but, but what, what would this allow them to do? What is the law going to say if you get your way? And she doesn't want to say it. She represents most lawmakers who would much rather give a speech about it, decry a court decision about it, than actually go on the record voting for it. Yes, I voted for abortion through the ninth month, through the 40th week. Something that only three or four countries in the world legally recognize, but we would now be one of them. So that's what they're doing. 210-599-5555. And so rather than potentially commit 
career suicide. What I think is happening here, and I can't prove it, but I have a very strong hunch that whoever leaked this or whatever the mechanism or or coordination was for leaking this, and I believe there was coordination. I don't think those protesters materialized out of thin air last night. I don't think those barricades or those tweets were were just spontaneous. I think the idea here is, first, we're going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on the, on the justices. Maybe there's a, a weakling. Secondly, we're going to stir up the Democratic base, which is demoralized. You know, when you keep hearing about a red wave election, that isn't just more people voting for Republicans. That's, that Im- strongly implies a depressed Democratic turnout. Trump's not on the ballot. Biden has been disappointing. He's disturbing in his confusion. This is a moment of clarity for the Democratic base. Aha, yes, now we remember this is what we care about, or so they think. And then thirdly, this also incensed Congress. It lights a fire under Congress to codify Roe v. Wade, something they could have done at any time in the last 49 years. They didn't have to leave it to this moment. They, their hands weren't tied. Ben Sass makes that clear. But they don't want to go on. See, if they vote, if they pass a law, they're on the record, and then they have to go back to their state, and they might have a primary challenger or a general election challenger, or someone might stop them in a store or at church. Say, I can't believe you voted for that. So much better to just mouth platitudes about women and women's bodies and leave it to the justices of the Supreme Court, only not leave it to them. Because if it doesn't look like it's going to go your way, malign them and stir people up. And I could read you, and I won't bore you with them, but I could read you tweets and quotes today from people on the left that are pretty much saying, go get them. And this is the language they claim led to January 6th. And I would hate to be right about this, but to me it sounds like the beginning of, or the, at least the wish for, an insurrection against the Supreme Court. Otherwise, why the barricades? Aren't these mostly peaceful protesters? This is primary day in Ohio. And um, the Senate primary is probably the most watched of its kind in the country. It's the open Senate seat. Uh, Republican Rob Portman is retiring. Ohio has been a kind of swing state or whatever for uh, recent elections, but it's, it seems to be trending as more of a solid Republican state, kind of the way Florida has gone from being a toss-up state to being more or less fairly reliably a Republican state. So anyway, the Republican primary has a crowded field. Um, it got a jolt from the endorsement by Donald Trump of author J.D. Vance. And I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think Ohio is one of the states where whoever gets the most votes wins the nomination. I don't think they have a runoff system where if it's under 50%, they'd go to a runoff. So even though it's a crowded field, we we would have a winner uh, tonight. And I will say I followed this somewhat closely. You may remember this was the uh, race where 
They had a debate, and a couple of the Republican candidates almost got into a fistfight on live television on the stage. I, I will say this. I, I'm interested to see how much power Trump's endorsement has. J.D. Vance was definitely a contender, was definitely at or near the top anyway. Um, will that now be, will, will he now run away from the field? Uh, will he not win? Uh, will he be upset? Because I know in Georgia where Trump endorsed the opponent to Governor Brian Kemp in that Republican primary, that guy is tanking. And um, there's been a few other places around the country where that endorsement has not been the magic that it usually is in the Republican Party these days. So interesting to watch uh, Trump's influence, what people want him to do. I ask people all the time, or people get into it with me all the time, you know, will he run again? Do I think he'll run again? I ask them, do you want him to run again? It's funny to me how many people kind of look around like, is anyone, can anyone hear me say this? And then say, well, you know, I I voted for him twice. This is the conversation I've had a million times. I voted for him twice. I really like the guy. I, he's been good for the country, but, and then they say some variation of, I think it needs to be somebody else, or I really like this DeSantis or this one or that one. All right. So I think we're right in sort of a, a hinge moment here. And he's got to make a decision, and Republicans have to make decisions. And part of what's going to go into that is what kind of a factor he is in these in these midterm uh, elections. And this this Supreme Court story, make no mistake, is meant to be a game changer for the Democrats. I don't know if it will be or not. You heard Alveda King earlier, if you heard her interview with us. She doesn't think it will be. And I've heard other people today say, no, they're, they're really overestimating the appetite for third trimester abortion. They've, they've gone too far. They've staked out too extreme a position. The Democrats, I mean. I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. But they've staked out a lot of extreme positions. You know, we were talking last night about this elementary school in Washington, D.C. that has something called the anti-racism fist book that they gave children pre-K through third grade. And the book and the activities around it have been very disturbing to a lot of families. It asks these little kids to assess their own racism, to own that they are a racist. In a section of the book entitled How to Deal with Racism from Loved Ones, it instructs them to identify racists in their family. Is your brother a racist? Is your father a racist? And, you know, I i mean, I can't say I'm not a pollster, I don't study this stuff, but my, my instinct tells me this kind of bananas approach loses people. It doesn't make them Republicans. It doesn't turn them into Fox News viewers. But it does not enthuse. It gives a queasy feeling to a lot of people who who otherwise maybe have voted for, in the past, have voted for Joe Biden, have voted for Barack Obama, have voted for Hillary Clinton. But this isn't what they were voting for when they did that. This isn't what they want for their kids or their schools. There was a story today at redstate.com about Ron DeSantis and 
what has happened as a result of his move against Disney. Um, and the article says, in part, whether DeSantis had the power to do what he did has never really been in question. We're talking about uh, rolling back Disney's favored taxing status. Um, but it says the decision is paying dividends. According to the Wall Street Journal, CEOs around the country are rethinking going woke asking how they can stay out of the firing line in the future. The quote from the Wall Street Journal is, these CEOs are saying and asking, how can we, meaning our company, avoid becoming the next Disney? Businesses are worried about their deals, their special tax benefits, their incentive packages, their abatements, or just their their image. Everywhere you go in this country, there's a company or a business that is sort of the hometown favorite, right? Anywhere you travel, if you get to know the area and the people well enough, you'll find out there's always some company that's kind of got a benevolent pillar of the community image. It might be a supermarket chain, it might be a restaurant chain, it might be a guy that sells cars, it might be, you know, it might be a, a manufacturing company. These companies don't want to be the next Disney. And none of them are as prepared or as slick as Disney was, and yet look what happened. And so whether you agree or disagree with what DeSantis did, the article is saying it's having an effect. And I think that's right. And I, and I think that speaks to maybe where people really are. So when you're in politics, it's very easy because you spend all day with like-minded people. Every meeting you take, every uh, social media interaction you have is with like-minded people. You start to think that you and your group are everyone. We all feel this way. Everybody I know feels this way. Everybody I know thinks X or believes in Y. But, of course, that's not true. You might not have that problem. I don't have that problem because we don't live in that kind of a bubble. We're, we're forced to be with and we are with and around and talk with other people and people of other ideas. But I think, I think from time to time, one or the other political party just gets carried away. And right now, my read is that that's the Democrats. So we'll see. The only corrective is things not going the way they expect them to in an election. 210-599-5555. There was another story today I was reading about how public schools are having to uh, cut their budgets. Do you know why? Well, because they got a lot of COVID money in 2020 and 2021. And they went ahead and did things and, and established things with monies that were going to run out and are running out. And now they're coming back down to the, if you will, the real world. But there's another thing affecting public schools. More parents are choosing homeschooling. Now, I don't mean it's a tidal wave, but there is a definite erosion of the student body. And so budgets are being cut. I was reading about the teachers' union in Los Angeles. The union that represents L.A. United Teachers is called United Teachers of Los Angeles. They've demanded, this is Teacher Appreciation Day, Remember the day you would bring your teacher a, a candle or a gift or a something home-baked? Well, they don't want a candle. <laughs> they don't want an apple. This is what they're demanding 
on Teacher Appreciation Day, United Teachers of L.A., end privatization, continue COVID masking, full funding of arts and music, green spaces and gardens at every school, ethnic and racial studies in all of the schools. It's a lot easier when they just wanted a gift card, right? That's what's happening, though. Again, it's the, it's the collision of people who are thinking in a bubble and the real world. Because it doesn't matter who you voted for or what bumper stickers you have on the back of your car. You love your kid. You don't want him to grow up with guilt. You don't want her to grow up thinking that people of other skin colors are the enemy. You're not okay with it. And they don't get that. They think this is going to fall along party lines, and it's not. It already hasn't. Six thirty nine on KTSa. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five or Jack at KTSa dot com. Ted writes, "I'm waiting to hear the Mistress of Truth quash Eric Swalwell's unfounded allegation that SCOTUS has the goal of eliminating same sex marriage." Yeah, where's the, where's the, uh, what's her name the. Zarina of disinformation or the the scary poppins of disinformation, whatever. Nina? Where's Nina? Looking for some prefects in the bathroom one day. But instead I found Harry and so I said, hey. I helped him solve the mystery of the A. And I'd like to solve the mystery between his legs. Oh, okay. All right. No more for her. Cut her off. She's had enough over there, that lady over there. Give her the check. Um, I, you know, I know she hasn't been sworn in yet or even approved, but you know, she could, she could work pro bono for us, right? But yeah, there's there is so much, uh, <laughs> so many outlandish lies being told. It's the end of same sex marriage. It's the, the end of interracial marriage. I was even thinking today, what would be a fun rumor to start if you wanted to, you know, kind of like jump on the bandwagon of scaremongering? Uh, over this uh, Supreme Court leak, you know, I was trying to think what what could what could uh, what could we do? You know, I, I, bottom line though is the the better educated people are, the and I don't mean smarter in the sense of like degrees or advanced degrees, but but when people know the rules of the road, they're harder to fool. And it says something about the way politicians are trying to mess with you. They kind of know, not you personally, but they kind of know there's a lot of people out there they can, they can talk down to. It's like when you're at a, when you're at a, a, a sporting event and a ref or an umpire makes an egregious bad call. Fans that know, know right away. 
But somebody that's like a casual fan or is watching their phone or you know looking up at the sky, they don't know. But people that know the strike zone or know the pass interference rules, they know right away. And what we need are more people in the in the stands of the American game who know the rules so that the, the BS can be called immediately. They're getting away with it. It's galling. By the way, speaking of the czarina of disinformation, today uh, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana uh, introduced a bill that would defund the Disinformation Governance Board. He's already got 60 co-sponsors. It would bar any federal funding for the Disinformation Governance Board if the president doesn't cancel it first. So that's a good move. We'll see how far that goes. Disinformation's a real thing. It comes from our enemies. But what we need here at home is not a ministry of truth. We need our own internal whatever you want to call it, BS detector, knowledge of the rules, rules of the game. We had a campaign here at KTSA many, many years ago when I first came here. They were giving away pocket constitutions. The idea was, yeah, if you just if you just look it up, if you could just refer to the rules, you'd know when you were being hornswoggled. You'd know when they were trying to do something they don't have the right to do. But you don't need a pocket constitution anymore. You've got a phone. You don't need a pamphlet. There's probably never been more constitutional knowledge at our fingertips than there is right now. There's never been more places to go. There's never been more ways to find out. But the, the offsetting aspect of that is we, we haven't taught it like we used to. People don't in, it just intrinsically know it like they used to. So you can run a, a, a line of jive on people about, oh, this is going to be the end of interracial marriage. What? Now here's something interesting. Speaking of disinformation, and I don't know if this is or not, the Russians were famous for it during the Cold War. You know how we've been hearing rumors that Vladimir Putin might have some medical issues. Some people have even said maybe he's not in his right mind. Well, we now have heard this week that he is, in fact, going to have a surgery and hand over power to a former federal police chief. This according to um, some reports. I don't know if this is disinformation or not. But it says that a man named Viktor Petrushev, if I'm saying that right, uh, will be the temporary, uh, you know, Capo di Capo, uh, while Putin undergoes anesthesia and a surgery, which is described as minor, and he's only supposed to be incapacitated for a day or two. So it probably doesn't change anything with Ukraine, but it feeds those rumors that he's not in the best of health. The other thing that I, I haven't heard very much reporting on, and I'm curious about, there's been a, a lot of stuff getting blown up in Russia lately. I don't know if you've seen any of these stories. Um, but the Washington Examiner had a piece the other day about a couple of major oil depots uh, that caught fire 
um, and some big explosions, some big industrial accidents, quote-unquote, that have been taking place in Russia. And one theory is that the Ukrainians have embraced the special forces approach that obviously Israel and the United States uh, have employed in the past, you know, kind of asymmetrical warfare. Maybe they're doing this. But an even more intriguing theory, and again, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there, an even more intriguing theory is what if this is the beginning of some kind of, you know, resistance to uh, Putin and his regime from within the Russians? Uh, It's quite a thing to imagine that Ukraine, a country that two months ago we didn't think could defend itself, might now be launching you know, attacks behind enemy lines. Again, that's just one possibility. But something very strange is going on in Russia. Or a lot of strange things are going on in Russia. And I don't think we're getting the whole story. We get so distracted here by the shiny objects, you know. I was joking earlier, but this Supreme Court story broke last night. And you could just feel the shift, right? All of a sudden, a bunch of other things that had been of paramount importance constantly in the new gone. Not hearing anything about him. And, you know, mark my words, something will dislodge this from the headlines sooner rather than later. It's just kind of how we do things nowadays. We asked you on the JR poll tonight, will the leak from the Supreme Court save the Democrats in the midterms? The thinking being... This is going to put abortion up there at the top or near the top of the list of issues Americans are concerned about. They will realize the Democrats are sane. The Republicans are insane. They'll worry that their daughters can't get abortions or have to go to back alleys. And they're going to turn out in massive numbers and vote for Biden's Democratic Party because of this leak, because of the Supreme Court and what they might do. Do you buy that? Do you think that's right? And tonight on the JR poll across all of our Platforms, all the places you could vote, 70% said no, and 30% said yes. And we'll start to see if this is true very soon, because we're in the middle of primary season. Speaking of people that have been sort of found for political purposes, I, I meant to mention this yesterday, and we ran out of time. May, the month of May, is Asian American and Pacific Island Heritage Month. And there's a fascinating history to the arrival of and the populating of our country by Asians. It's one of the great untold stories. I'd like to maybe tell some of it over the course of this month where we can work it in. But when you think about it, the reason we don't hear as much about them and we don't know as much about this history is because historically... And, and again, I'm generalizing. Asian Americans have not been politically active. They have not been high volume. Of course, they vote and they have opinions, but we've talked about this with Kenny Shu, who wrote the book about uh, the activa- activation of Asian Americans when it comes to critical race theory in the schools. The book is called An Inconvenient Minority. And that's an entire group of Americans who, like Elon Musk, may not have been looking for the culture war, but the culture war came looking for them. It came looking for their kids. It came looking for their values. And it's, it's, it's forcing them into or to be more active in arenas that they haven't been 
traditionally. We're going to hear a lot more from them, which I think is a good thing. And on this show. And we'll see you back here tomorrow at 4 or find our show on demand anytime. Jack Riccardi, page of KTSA.com.